Our loving and most gracious God, use the words that I speak for your glory. Amen. Festivals and celebrations. I don't really know what it is about festivals and celebrations, but for some reason this year, February the 2nd, is chocker blocked full of them. First off, it's Groundhog Day. All eyes this morning on the news were on Punxsutawney Phil in Pennsylvania to see if the bitter cold of winter is going to continue or not. And just checking before the service, it looks like he saw a shadow, so there'll be six more weeks of winter. And later tonight, people are going to gather to celebrate Super Bowl Sunday. Some will watch the game, yes. <laughs> and others will watch the commercials. In warmer places such as Mexico, today is El Dia de la Candelaria, a festival that begins actually on Epiphany on January the 6th with the cutting of the king cake. And anyone who finds the little baby Jesus that's baked inside the king cake then gets to put on a big party for all your friends and family today, the 2nd of February. In France, the day is called La Chandeleur, and legend has it that quand la chandeleur est claire, l'hiver est par derrière, chandeleur couverte, quand jour défaite, which is a rhyme that means, if February 2nd is clear, no more winter to fear. But if the chandeleur is overcast, 40 more days of winter to last. And of course, the English, the English call this day Candlemas. And to no one's surprise, they have the exact opposite tradition of the French. <laughs> Where they say this, if Candlemas be fair and bright, winter has another flight. If Candlemas brings clouds and rain, winter will not come again. And to our benefit this year, February 2nd happens on a Sunday, and we celebrate the presentation of our Lord, the day we commemorate Joseph and Mary bringing the baby Jesus to the temple as an offering to God. True, we've already heard stories about the early ministry of Jesus over the past three weeks, his calling of the disciples, and the beginning of proclaiming this inbreaking of the kingdom of God. But today, we go back and we reaffirm what we've encountered so far. We begin by re-examining a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. Our first reading is from the book of Malachi. And if you've never read it, you can actually read the entire book in about 10 minutes. It's only about five pages long. Anyway, what's so interesting about this prophecy from this prophet Malachi, which means the messenger of God, is that the writer says that God has this overarching plan 
this overarching plan to bring life to human beings, to bring life in continuous ways, in ways that give them continuous improvement, such as a fine metal that passes through a refiner's fire so that then it can shine more brightly. This continuous refinement draws the whole human family closer into an experience with God so that the sacred becomes ever-present, that the sacred is recognized everywhere, and that by human beings recognizing God's sacred presence, they will then have the ability to be a restorative force, to be a healing presence, to be strong for those who are weak, and to be a catalyst for all that God is doing in the world. Quite a prophecy. This is really an extraordinary book. In fact, in the third century, Cyprian of Carthage sees Malachi's prophecy as very hopeful. He writes, the long protracted mischief of humankind may at some time be changed and humanity involved in the contagion of errors and crimes may even though late be converted to God. Hopeful. We're going back this week to that theme about the people who walked in darkness have now seen a great light. Last week's readings mentioned it, and today we're living more fully even into seeing that great light. So when Joseph and Mary are presenting Jesus along with their required offering in the temple, they encounter a man there named Simeon. A man who has been hopeful in God, who has probably lived his entire life in twilight, anticipating this arrival of the Messiah. But we have to stop first and unpack a few more things about this man because there's all kinds of symbolism in this story. First, let's start with his name. Simeon in Greek is Sumeon. And that word sounds a whole lot like the word that the New Testament in Greek uses for miracles and signs. Semeon. Coincidence? I'll let you decide. Anyway, Simeon is described as someone who is righteous, as though his continued hope, and through his continued hopefulness that God will act. The biblical Greek uses another word, paraklesin, a strong comforter, a fortifier, one who recognizes God's strength. Our translation uses the word consoler or consolation instead. But anyway, the Greek is paraklesin. And this same word is often used to describe what the Holy Spirit does. Okay, stay with me. Then just at the end of this very same verse, we hear that the Holy Spirit rests upon Simeon. So not only is Simeon, through hopefulness, a promoter, an advocate, a champion of the Holy Spirit's work, 
The scripture tells us that this same spirit's work is already resting on him as well. And that's important because the story then tells us that the Holy Spirit brings Simeon to encounter Joseph and Mary and the Christ child somewhere in the courts of the temple. And immediately this righteous man begins praising God, exclaiming that Jesus is salvation immediately in his sight. That God has prepared this salvation before the face of human beings. It's not hidden all the way back there in the inner courts of the Holy of Holies in the temple, but it's right there. It's right in the here and now, right in front of him. And that this holy child is a light. This child will be a light for the nations and to be God's glory in the world for the whole of the family of God, for everyone who has ever been created. (coughs) Simeon lives in hope, and he physically sees with his own eyes that redemption that was prophesied so boldly in Malachi's reading, that God's plan of reaching out Even though late in life, God's plan of reaching humankind in a bold way so that human beings can find that sacred presence everywhere. And through that transformation, human beings can see Jesus as this light to all people, to restore to heal, to raise up the weak, and to empower people to become fully the children of God. Amazing. And so the winter, the winter of Simeon's life fades, and a new springtime emerges in this form of revelation. Affirmation that God's promises for humankind are being fulfilled in our very midst, way back then, and right here now, too. But how do we recognize this action of God? How do we start the conversation with ourselves and with one another to see how this presence of love gets manifested in the here and now. How does this presence of love get manifested in the here and now? To help us out, I want to tell you a story about the Spanish mystic St. John of the Cross. He grew up in Spain in the 16th century, and the story of his own life is very much in line with that imagery that we hear in Malachi's refiner's fire prophecy. John was badly treated by the church. He almost died from church-imposed punishment. But after a time, he writes that the untruths of his life had to die before he could really live. And that after he escaped from his cruel church captors, he lived the rest of his life 
in the Andalusian wilderness, and some of his best writing comes from that time. I want to share some imagery that he writes about soul work, about how we begin, just a glimpse, but how we begin to find that sacred presence, that ability to learn how to become God's paraclesis, God's strengthener, God's advocate, to continue living in the ability to become a restorative force and to be a catalyst for everything that God is doing in the world. So John writes this meditation. She caught me off guard when my soul said to me, have we met? So surprised was I to hear her speak like that, that I chuckled. She began to sing a tale. There once was a hard-working man who used to worry so much because he could not clothe or feed his children and wife the way they, that he wanted. There was a beautiful chapel in the village where the man lived, and one day while he was praying, an angel appeared. The angel said, follow me. And he did, out into an ancient forest. Now dig here, the angel said. And the old man felt strength in his limbs that he had not known since youth. And with just his bare hands, he dug deep and found a lost treasure. And his relationship with the world changed. Finding our soul's beauty does that gives us tremendous freedom from worry. Dig here, the angel said, in your soul, in your soul. For Simeon, the Christ child wasn't a lost treasure. It was found treasure, a recognized treasure from his soul now physically manifested in front of him. And when the treasure was found, his relationship with God and the world was forever changed. It was made right. And so on this feast of the presentation, I ask all of us, how do we dig into our souls to find Christ's light that we're given? How does this luminary presence of Jesus shine in us and through us and out of us? Where is our soul's beauty and the pure freedom that accompanies it? If we take these prophecies seriously, and I want to remind us that we are all active participants in this story then we don't have to. We don't have to endure that day of his coming, as Malachi writes, because as the letter to the Hebrews tells us, Christ is able to help those who are being tested. You know, I said at the beginning of this sermon that I find it interesting how all of these various festivals converge on this first Sunday in February. But in some ways, it's not surprising. 
It's still winter in most parts of the Northern Hemisphere, and people are feeling the effects of seasonal affective disorder. We might not be here in Phoenix, but many are. And we need this message of hope and cheerfulness that all these festivities bring. But most importantly, we need that light that Simeon recognized today, oh, so many years ago. The light that continues to refine us and make us God's paraclesis, God's strength and consolation. So that like Simeon, the Holy Spirit might also rest upon us. Not so the spirit can be raised up to see its shadow and then go back into a state of hibernation. And not so that the spirit gives you insight to call your bookie in Vegas to place the right bet on the game. But really, not so that we can be passive and complacent to God's actions in the world. But so we can dig deeper into us to dig with strong hands, to dig with our bare hands and with all of our being, to find that treasure in ourselves that God put there through the human manifestation of the Christ child, to change our relationship with God and the world, and to make things right with ourselves and with one another once and for all time.